The Diamondbacks sweep the Dodgers and will play the Philadelphia Phillies in the National League Championship Series. We're going to talk about how the Diamondbacks were able to exercise 10 years of playoff demons in a three-game series. And then we'll do a little bit of a preliminary preview of the Diamondbacks versus Phillies series with the National League pennant on the line on today's episode of Snakes on the Diamond. Hello, everyone, and welcome on in. I am Michael McDermott. I am part of the beat for Fan Nation inside the Diamondbacks on the Sports Illustrated website, which you can find at si.com slash MLB Diamondbacks. You can follow me on Twitter, X, whatever you want to call it, at Michael McDee MLB. And before we get started, make sure to hit that subscribe button, leave a like on the video, share if you want to get some inside perspective on how the Diamondbacks handled Dodgers as well as the difficult matchup they faced with the Phillies. Starting with Dodgers. That three-game series ultimately ended up being actually quite a lift, I think, for both the team and the fan base. Given that the last 10 years, the Dodgers have basically dominated the division. It was true once again in the 2023 regular season, although a series of injuries and circumstances I guess you can say leveled the playing field for the Diamondbacks, and they were coming into that series hot. Whereas the Dodgers rotation had been completely decimated by injuries. Their bullpen has suffered a couple key injuries along the way. And you, they were still kind of scrambling with their pitching staff going into the postseason. However, that didn't change the fact that the Diamondbacks scored 13 runs against Clayton Kershaw, Bobby Miller, and Lance Lynn while the trio combined to only pick up 14 outs. Well, the Dodgers' bullpen did a pretty good job in the series, pulling the D-backs to just one run between games two and three. The early leads they were able to pick up against the Dodgers' starting pitching was more than enough for the D-backs to basically control the rhythm and the flow of the game. And that's what they needed to do against a team that, on paper, they seemed like overmatched, but Sometimes the postseason is more about how you're playing as opposed to how you played. So, a hunt, so games won in July versus September may have a little less, a little less of a meaning. Whereas you look at the Diamondbacks, they went through a stretch in September where they won three of four series, including a sweep. They basically played their way into the playoff spot before kind of just coasting at the end of the season. Where's you look at the Dodgers? The Dodgers kind of made their run June through August and then kind of coasted from there. We also can't discount the fact that uh, losing Julio Urias to, they basically kicked him off the team for domestic violence, that incident that occurred during the season. That def- plus the uh, Tommy John surgeries with Walker Bueller and Tony Gonsolin kind of just decimating their rotation. However, in the D-backs case, you worry about who you play when you're told to play. The Diamondbacks rotation did their job in this series with Merrill Kelly and Zach Gallon picking up their first wins in Dodger Stadium in games one and two. And then Brandon fought probably delivering the start of his life in game three. If you look at the D-backs pitching, the three starting pitchers combined for 16 innings and allowed just two runs. One of those happening after Gallon left the field in game two. And when you out when your team outs when you uh when you outscore their star, starters so starting pitching 
outscoring them 13 to 2. That allows you to establish an early lead and manage the game the way you want to. And that was the case in this entire series. And also, Tori Lavelle did a master class. Of course, when you have all the pieces working, as both this and the other NLDS series kind of just showcased, like when you get an early lead and you have the right pieces in place, you look like a genius as a manager. That was the case for Tori Lavelle. So in game two, uh, in game one, obviously Kelly Cruz, they he pitched in the seventh, so not much to do there. Had a big lead. Game two, in a situation where D-backs had a 4-1 lead and the Dodgers had two runners on base, both decided to go to the bullpen, pulls that down at 84 pitches. So ended up bringing in Anderson. Frank struggled a little bit, but got James Outman to strike out before handing the ball to Thompson. And of course, Thompson has been a workhorse this postseason. He has pitched in four of the five games that Diamondbacks have played, games one and two in Milwaukee, as well as games two and three against the Dodgers. Of course, Thompson got the job done there in game five. Uh, game three got dinged up a little bit, a couple two out, uh, two out, two strike pitches got hit. Not necessarily in the strike zone, but perhaps not located to where he wanted it to, and that's and even a location mistake outside the strike zone. If you leave a slider up, not necessarily down below missing away hitter might be able to catch up reach to that one in the case of taylor he had a sinker that was not at the knees and that ended up getting pissed off so just a little bit of a blip on thompson in game three but for the most part the whole body of work is very good and that accounts for the two runs the d-backs that bullpen has given up when it, the game was somewhat in doubt then you look beyond thompson kevin ginkle Paul Seawald have been pretty automatic this postseason. Eagle getting some big strikeouts in game one of the wildcard series, including the side in the eighth inning. In the eighth inning, in game three of the division series, striking out Mookie Betts and Freddie Freeman back-to-back after a leadoff walk put the tying runs in the plate. And that, to me, it was the moment where the D-backs basically won the series. It was over at that point. Now, of course, there was three outs to get to after that, but... When Kevin Ginkle struck out their best two hitters in very dominating fashion, getting the swing at pitches out of the strike zone, it felt like at that point it was over. They had held Betts and Freeman to a one for 21, and that one hit was the result of Zach Green. Forgetting, the, forgetting his first baseman as a gold glover, and if it's not hit an absolute rocket, he's going to cover the line. Ball hit by Freeman. And that, was pretty much how, and that was pretty much how the D-backs pitching was able to keep the Dodgers from mounting any serious offense the entire series. Like took took down their best two hitters. That meant that the Dodgers had very limited ways to score in the series. They were although they still did have Martinez and Muncie who had hundred RBIs on the season, but the fact they were able to contain uh Betts who will finish no worse in, in second place in the MVP balloting and Freddie Freeman who will also get some down ballot votes, maybe even a third or fourth place finish. Three of the top five hitters in the National League were non-factor in that series, and that's a credit to the D-backs pitching staff. And also, Torrey Lavelle for putting his pitching staff in advantageous situations. Like, talk about Thompson and Ginkle being those matchups against Freeman and Betts in games two and three. Kind of getting that done there. Getting the job done there. On the offensive side of the ball, the Diamondbacks... Found the home run, found the 
long ball this postseason. So after only hitting 166 in regular season, which ranked 22nd in Major League Baseball, they lead the postseason home runs with 13. Moreno has three. Carroll has two. And Carroll Marte each have two. So that's seven. And then additionally, home run by Walker. Home run by Walker in game three as well. I'm blanking. I think Bam hit one in game one. Thomas has two postseason homers. Most of the home runs are coming from the young guys. So, the backs definitely do have a bright future with their lineup. The Kale Moreno are kind of carrying the offense right now. Although Walker's had a great postseason. You can tell Marte, when he's on, he's very on. He was very on. Against the Dodgers in this series. Looking at. See if I can get it. We're going to look at postseason pitching. Not postseason. Postseason hitting. Do we look at the. Uh. Diamondbacks have nine, you know, the nine players. Nine players with at least 17 plate appearances in the postseason. The Diamondbacks have seven player. Now, of course, if you hit a lot of home runs, your WRC is going to be good. The D backs have four players with an OPS of 94 higher. That is Corbin Carroll, Gabriel Moreno, Christian Walker, Cattell Marte. And of course, uh, Thomas and Pham are above 800. Perdomo, 792, although. When one of your two hits is a home run, your slugging percentage looks good and you're drawing a lot of walks. Perdomo has four walks in the postseason, so making an impact. I feel like Guriel's definitely made an impact, even with a 667 OPS. Look, the Dimebacks lineup is clicking. So, having all three of those ingredients finally put together, that's kind of why you're seeing the Dimebacks make a run this postseason. They've never really had the offense, the starting pitching, or the bullpen kind of come together. Mostly because of the lack when it came, it started with the uh, the bullpen. I think it was the bullpen was a little shaky for most of the year. Dimebacks made two very two very good moves with the bullpen. and then uh, two guys from two internal options stepping up late in the season, kind of put their quartet their. Uh, Quartet in the back of the bullpen. That's Seawald. They traded for him. Paid an absorbent cost again. But now that you're in the National Championship Series, it was a situation where you paid a, you paid an exorbitant cost to get a closer, but it worked out. You're not going to win the trade on value, but you're going to win, win the trade because he got you where you're going. He got you further than you probably would have gotten without him. And of course, Ginkle has turned into the D-backs' best relief pitcher in like a two-month span. Whenever, and he's kind of in big situations, he's found a way to basically make <laughs> make hitters miss. Uh, it was a stat I looked up in my article about the D-backs revamping bullpen almost midway through the season. But Ginkle, in medium and high leverage situations, has a sub 600 OPS and strikeout rate about 30 percent. When you're talking about situations where you need to get outs late in the ballgame, 
and allowing contact is not acceptable, Ginkle is the guy to bring in. And that comes as no surprise. We saw that in game three. We also look at Saul Frank. Saul Frank's the guy that completely flips the equation. Nobody counted. Even probably the most optimistic prognications probably didn't have Saul Frank becoming a key member of the bullpen literally overnight. Maybe that was due to the fact that D-backs hadn't gotten consistent high leverage left-handed outs in the last three or four years. Well, and Saul Frank in his first month and a half in the major leagues, he looks like a guy that belongs in the back end of the bullpen. The games, the even in the po- with the magnification of the postseason, the game is not too fast for him. It doesn't look overwhelmed, and he's faced some pretty big situations already. Talk about that uh, inning in the sixth inning in game two and game three. After Thompson had given up four straight hits, and the Dodgers had cut the D-backs lead in half, Thompson came in. It was a situation where the D-backs were going to win either way. It was a situation on matchups alone. The D-backs were in great shape, whether it was a uh, Facing David Peralta on a left on left with stuff that Peralta struggles with, where you have that sinker coming in on the hands, the big vertical swing and miss curveball, or you were going to have that against Austin Barnes, who's coming off a really bad season. And of course, what happened is Saul Frank threw a sinker that sank below the knees, and Austin Barnes hit a easy ground ball to third base, and that was pretty much the last time the Dodgers seriously played in the World Series. Or you can seriously put up a rally call I guess you can call having your all-stars bat with the uh, as a tying run is a serious rally as well but there I think it was that point if you get past it was at that point it's like it felt like if you got past Freeman that's a game moving on to the second half before we do that if you've made it 14 minutes to this video click that subscribe button and comment what your prediction is for the NLCS, a best of seven series, so that's going to be four wins. I'm going to say Phillies in six is my prediction. Again, my prediction is Phillies in six. I think the D-backs will give Philadelphia everything they can handle early on in the series. However, it's going to be hard to imagine that. Um, it's going to be tough to imagine because the Phillies, I believe, are more of a complete team, the type of team you expect to do well in the postseason. Dimebacks are kind of just figuring out who they are now. Although they figured it out pretty quick. I'm good they can be. Two teams playing very hot. Should be a fun series. Good starting pitching. Teams that can slug the long ball. The top two home run hitting teams in the postseason. Of course, the D-backs have the highest home runs per game. If we go by per game, the D-backs are number one. Both teams have 13 home runs in the postseason. The Phillies having that many home runs in the postseason is not necessarily that surprising, considering the fact that... Uh, Nick Castellanos is a guy when he gets hot can hit home runs in the bunches. And then of course, Bryce Harper turns into Barry Bonds in the postseason. I don't know if his numbers are, I don't know if Harper's numbers are updated yet. But uh, for the postseason, but I remember Harper coming in to play the game. So before game three, had OPS over 1,000. Game three. It might be below a thousand because Harper had an, the Nationals kind of contained Harper a little bit. All 
Herbert didn't necessarily have a big impact, although Cassianos obviously had a pretty big impact in the three, two home runs. In fact, he hit four home runs in the last two games. So key for the D-backs is to keep the Phillies in the ballpark for one. Number two is they have to be cognizant of the fact that even though Philadelphia is probably the best slugging team out there left in the playoffs, they can run the bases too. Trey Turner, Bryson Stott, Bryce Harper can steal a bag. Like if you don't pay attention to these guys, they'll steal bases. Bryce learned that one the hard way. Harper was one for three with two walks. So Harper's hitting 368 with a 1300 OPS. 1380 OPS this postseason. If we do the math, and Harper's hit was a single. 500 slug plus reach base three out of four times. Okay, yeah, his OPS is still above a thousand. So, proven postseason. But containing Harp, Harper and Castellanos is going to be key. Not letting Schwarber hit home runs in the postseason. Kyle Schwarber is a guy that, if you make your pitches, he'll get them out, as evidenced by his batting average. But he's a guy that takes and rakes. Or uh, takes and rakes. Walks a lot. 40-plus homers. You make a mistake, this guy's going to hit it to New Jersey. Literally. To New Jersey. Thank you for someone that's been <laughs> so the so yeah the and then if the Phillies do get a lead by the fifth inning it's going to be tough the rest of the way so it'll be important for the Diamondbacks to hold their sluggers down so that's your um keeping Cassiano Schwarber Craig Turner and Harper contained in the series those are the key four hitters they'll have to contain and of course it's going to be tough against the pitching staff like I said Zach is electric in the postseason. Aaron Nolan, not that far behind him. Then Ranger Suarez is probably the most underrated number three starter in baseball. And I say that because he doesn't put up sexy strikeout totals, but what he does, he get, uh, he's the guy when he gets locked in. Of course, he's got a short release in the postseason because he's a pitch contact guy. When he's on, and he was on when he faced the D-backs in June, he's a guy that gets a lot of ground balls, a lot of double plays, a lot of double plays, tough to run on, fields his position very well, a very technically sound pitcher. It's a tough guy to score against. The Braves learned that the hard way. They only scored one run in eight and two-thirds innings across two different starts. So I think the key for the D-backs is to be able to impose their offensive pitching, which is going to be very hard. Be very hard. However, that's that's why I pay Corbin Carroll the big bucks. So you look at D backs, obviously you need Carroll to continue to stay hot. Twice as many walks and strikeouts in the postseason. Twenty three plate appearances Carroll has. Um six walks. That's your leadoff hitter. And of course every time Corbin Carroll walks, it's a threat. It's a threat to be a two base walk. Well, and then of course Moreno. Moreno when he hits, he hits homers. Three home said earlier three home runs the guy that is a guy that i feel like was is barely scratching the surface of what he can do in the regular season but in the post we can see what happens when he gets a hold of one 
but they'll also need the hometown hero Christian Walker to have a big series. Of course, uh, get, uh, get the whole team feed, fed some meatballs. Christian Walker should be uh, should be a fun series for the Walkers and probably the McCarthy family too as well. It'll be and McCarthy. His availability is going to be interesting to see what the NLCS roster is. Although I think McCarthy's probably out until the World Series, really, in my opinion, based on the fact it's an oblique strain. That's an injury that's weeks, not days, to recover. D backs will get at least two home playoff games for championship series as opposed to one division series, which is the case for the last one. Swept the series. So the likely pitching matchups in the series, game one, Merrill Kelly versus Zach Wheeler. Game two, Zach Gallen versus Aaron Nola. Game three, Brandon Futt versus Ranger Suarez. I think those are your three pitching matchups to keep an eye on. Game four, uh, I'm not sure who the D-backs are going to start game four. It's basically a roster that has three, starting, three usable starting pitchers, depending on how well Fott pitches. Theoretically, there are some options they could tur- turn to. I'm not sure I would want to throw a Slate Ciccone in there, but whoever they start in Game 4 is going to be starting at home, fortunately. I can't imagine Fott or any of the rookies in the D-backs 40-man roster. Rookie starters pitching in Philadelphia with their season on the line. And I don't think Arizona has the depth to do a full bullpen. So we could, prob- we could see, if they did a bullpen game, they would need two starters to get Start with the Tommy Henry and Bryce Davis pairing. And I don't. Now, of course, Henry's on the IL. They activate him. They have to make a forty-man since uh, Henry's on the sixty-day IL. The D-backs have made a deep playoff run, so we we can, uh, if possible, I think it's a good question to ask. Let's see if what Lavelle answers the question about if Henry's ready to go for this series. Of course, it's difficult to get those rehab starts in. Maybe it's a situation where Henry. I wouldn't rule this out, but Henry could pitch in the fall league this weekend if they intend to use him in game four. Although it's going to be difficult also to bring a guy in postseason who hasn't pitched since August. Probably hasn't been healthy since the end of July. Who hasn't been, hasn't really been healthy. Versus Slade Ciccone, whose last outing in the major league level was June. It was uh, September 22nd. I could piece together a game with Jarvis and Ciccone, possibly, but so with the postseason, it's a situation where game four, the starter's probably not going more than four, the three innings, and you're going to have to bring in someone to get another five to six outs after him, then maneuver to the middle guys and back end of the bullpen game four. But uh, we'll worry about game four when we my prediction again in the series is Phillies six. I still think Philadelphia has a little bit uh, has a little bit of an edge. Like I said, they're a little bit deeper in the starting pitching rotation. Their lineup a little bit more proven in the postseason. It's a it should be a tight series, but again, it's gonna be a tight series like all the way or throughout. I think it's a case where Philadelphia's home field advantage. 
exhibit a problem. But if there was a chance for the D-backs to win the series, they got to split in one. Uh, they go into Philadelphia and win a game. Obviously, that goes without saying. You can't win a series without winning one in Philadelphia. We win one there. You got to win one there. Probably two. Two games in Philadelphia, not necessarily games one and two, but two games in Philadelphia because I don't predict the D-backs to take all three at Chase Field. So the, I expect the series to be a back and forth. One more, it's Philly, the Arizona, uh, Philadelphia, the Phoenix, the Philadelphia. Going back, of course, uh, when I did that hand gesture, Ramirez, so Philadelphia, Philadelphia. Uh, I can't. Philadelphia. Phoenix, Philadelphia. I think this goes into six. The Dynamax are definitely a team that I think if Philadelphia drops their guard early, I think the Dynamax can certainly steal a game. Steal a game, maybe even two. And if the D-backs take a 2-0 series lead, then it's a question of can they finish them off at Chase Field. And I think it's a case. Uh, D-backs do steal home field advantage. I do think D-backs can build a home field advantage. I think the fan base is revved up from watching the Dodgers get crushed in a three-game series. Their longtime nemesis, little brother, beat, finally had enough and beats the snot out of them. That's kind of how that series went. And I think having have, having games that Chase feel with a nationally pennant online, I think the fan base will turn. Of course, I also think Philadelphia fans in Arizona are probably going to be turning on them. It'll be interesting. It'll be interesting once we get to game three. But um, in the meantime, we'll just have to wait and see how the Diamondbacks respond playing in a hostile environment, in a road environment, probably more, even more hostile and unique than Dodger Stadium with the postseason on the line. But hey, they won two games in Dodger Stadium. They won two games, well, Milwaukee's not quite the same, but they've won four road games already this postseason. They may pull it off. So anyway, that's going to wrap up episode 29 of the Snakes on the Diamond podcast. Remember to remember if you were made all the way to the end, hit that like on the video, comment down below your prediction of the Philly series. Again, I say I have Phillies in six. Predict the deep, uh, who you have winning and how many games. Don't forget to share. I'll have this up ready to go for game one. And we'll see how Dimebacks fare in uncharted waters. <laughs>